kind of needed to come up with something to separate yourself from the next guy. And our pitching coach, Jeff Andrews, um, really understood the sinker. And, um, you know, I kid people all the time without it. You'd see me working at McDonald's supersizing your value meal. <laughs> That's the only reason why I made it this far. Good morning, and welcome to episode 247 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller and his chirping birds. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Ben. Did you see that Johnny uh, Giovatella <laughs> was, was sent down? I was going to bring that up myself. I had his his tab open. Uh, yeah, so the the third third shot <laughs> is also a failure. Uh-huh. Or was it more than three? I guess maybe he had multiple chances in those other two seasons. I don't know. Um, they are getting they are getting progressively shorter the shots. <laughs> yes, this one was only ten games. So the let's say last year the he had about a month and a half at the end of the year and about a month and a half in the middle of the year, and in 2011 he had uh, about two months, two full months. So uh, yeah, and then this one was a half a month. So next. Next shot he gets will be uh, he'll get 45 minutes in the manager's office to show that he's got what it's worth. <laughs> I don't get it. You don't get it. He doesn't play that well. I mean, I I, I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would treat him the same way. But I mean, I, at least I get it. I get why he's. I mean, not that I expect huge things from him at this point, but the alternative is still Chris Getz, right? And. They called Chris Getz back up, and they sent Chris Getz down and said, we need more offense, so we're going to call up Javitella, and then yeah. we're going to give him 10 games, uh, like under 40 plate appearances to hit, and then bring Chris Getz back up because he's not going to hit like Chris, Chris Getz anymore. I don't, I don't know. Getz has an interesting minor league line. Yeah, I see that. No. Yeah. Well... It's interesting because he he hit 313 and he had a 313 on base percentage. Yeah. So you you would just assume that he didn't have any walks, but he actually did have a walk. Yeah. He also had two sacrifice flies. So if you can if you can have twice as many uh, sacrifice flies as walks, then your your OBP will stay about the same. He's a run producer. He drove in nine runs, 14 games. Uh, all right. So that's not what you wanted to talk about, right? What do you want to talk about? Derek Lowe. Oh, okay. Um, and I thought we could just do a could do a hot take on the Matt Garza <laughs> may, maybe trade. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I'll start, uh, which will give me time to heat up my take. Yes. Okay. Um, I uh, so Derek Lowe officially announced yesterday. I guess he didn't officially announce his retirement. I, I mean. The, the whole point of the official retirement is that you file paperwork, and I don't believe he filed paperwork. But he did tell somebody that he's not going to pitch again. He had not had much interest, and so now he says he's not going to pitch again. Anyway, I don't care that much about Derek, though. Although there are interesting things. There's a helicopter above me. Hang on. Let's let this pass. He said... Uh, he said, I'm officially no longer going to play the game. Yes. <laughs> that's a yeah. strange, strange way to put it. Uh, that's actually how you, that's how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you just say that. Uh, yeah. It, you have to find a reporter to say that too. That's the paperwork. Mm-hmm. The, when, when you look in his 
file at the MLB League offices. It's just a, a clipping from USA Today for every like like Steve Carlton. You open it up and there's a clipping from USA Today saying, "Well, Steve Carlton uh, wouldn't even talk to the media, so I don't know how he did it." He had to. He had yeah, maybe to break just that silence. one time. Uh, Derek Lowe. There are interesting things I would say about his career. One interesting thing about his career was the time that you wrote a long piece about oh. how he was <laughs> pitching like it was 1906 and he found a way to make it work and then it's, like four days later his ERA was 8,000. It's my least favorite article that I've ever written. That's like uh-huh. my, my go-to article when someone asks me for an example of something I was wrong about or, or wrote about too soon uh, or read too much into something. That's that's the one. There's also his, uh, his role in, I would say... I would say an underrated worst trade of all time, uh, the Heathcliff Slocum uh-huh. deal. I think it gets mentioned some, but I don't think it gets mentioned enough. Not because Lowe and Veritek should have turned into such great players that you know the Mariners should have seen that coming, but because they traded for Heathcliff Slocum in the middle of a of a pennant race. Slocum at the time, to appreciate this, he was a reliever, and at the time they traded for him. He had a 5.79 ERA. He had 36 strikeouts and 34 walks in 46 innings. And it's just hard to imagine that somebody saw him as the missing piece in a pennant push mm-hmm. worth trading two prospects for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, really, this, the, the, the Mariners' mindset in that trade should probably be reexamined a couple times a year uh, by somebody um, and uh, I think Lowe is also somewhat interesting for, uh, I don't know, I think that Lowe is kind of a, uh, a player who has been viewed differently through different people uh, throughout the sabermetric era, mm-hmm. uh, both good and bad. I remember when Paul DePodesta signed him, uh, it was widely considered a, a, a big overpay mm-hmm. for him. He hadn't been very good the previous year, or probably even the previous two years. And I think even, as I recall at the time, stat heads thought that he was fairly overrated uh, from his uh, his good BABIP year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember Rob Nyer writing a piece about uh, how the Dodgers, uh, how Dodger Stadium was, was actually perfect for him because he allowed... Uh, well, Dodger Stadium was what? Geez, what was it? Dodger Stadium was good at suppressing. No, good at allowing home runs. It allowed a lot of home runs, but it suppressed everything else. Mm. And Derek Lowe didn't allow home runs, mm. but he allowed everything else. And so there was like a nice match. And I don't know if that's exactly why Lowe was good with the Dodgers, but he ended up having four really good years with the Dodgers. And so anyway, interesting career, but. Would, not not what I want to talk about. Hmm. What I what I want to talk about is that Lowe is uh, Lowe faded out as a reliever. His last two seasons, uh, he was trying to hang on as a reliever, and so I was thinking about this like as a sort of comparable situation to a, a veteran star who goes out as a DH. And this is kind of uh, when uh, certainly when I was growing up, uh, there was a, a lot of talk about how players today had this big advantage because that you know they could keep on playing for an extra four or five years as a DH 
the way that, you know, like, uh, you know, Babe Ruth could never do that. And so there was this thought that like a lot of records were going to get broken. There were going to be a lot more 3000 hitters. Maybe there are, I'm, I'm not sure, but, um, you, you would, and, and you do see that you see a, a great, great many, uh, veterans who are DHs at the end of their career, even guys like, you know, Johnny Damon, who you don't necessarily think of as a, as a DH, mm-hmm. you know, hangs on for a couple extra years as DH. And some of them make this transition at 29 and some of them make it at 39, but it does seem like almost all the, the really good hitters at some point have a DH season. And, um, uh, and so you would think that there would be a, a, a similar situation with pitchers where, uh, great starters, would be great starters until they got old, and then they would have a couple years where they would go into their relief phase, right? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. Doesn't that make sense? Yep. And so, so um, I I looked at the, I ranked, uh, I, I uh, sorted pitchers since 1985 um, among starters by war and um, looked to see how many of them had done this, had had this career path that gave them a year or two or, you know, 10 years or whatever as a reliever. And you actually don't see it. It doesn't happen. The you have to go all the way down to the twenty-sixth best pitcher, and I'm skipping John Smoltz because uh, uh, John Smoltz uh, relieved as like an ace reliever, and then he started again. And I think it well, was a, I a mean, little bit of a different. Low, low kind of did too. I mean, he wasn't uh, not to the well, level that Smoltz did, but but he yeah, did sort I'm, of. I mean, he was a closer for a while. Right at the beginning, I'm not saying that Smoltz is disqualified because he had. I'm I'm saying that I am not counting Smoltz as a late career reliever. Uh-huh. If that if that makes sense, I, Smoltz, as I understand it, was deployed as a reliever because it was the Braves. Uh, the Braves had the need. There was the, uh, for us for a period of time. I believe there was some some question about his his arm. Yep. And and so he was a dominant reliever, but then he went back to starting, and he did not fade out as a reliever. His last, you know, his last few years, his last five years he only started he did not relieve at all mm-hmm. so that's why i'm excluding him you can include him if you want but he would be number ninth on the list okay. but otherwise you have to you have to go down to number 26 to get to mark langston um who had uh one relief outing at the end of his career you could also go to 34 and get dennis martinez and you could probably you could include i would say number 37 carlos sambrano and then you have to go all the way down to Lowe, who's number 49. So of the top basically 50 pitchers of the last 30 years, Lowe is one of only like four who did this. And that really surprises me. You would think, I mean, we, I think we tend to think about pitching starters and relievers. You think about them as basically being on a spectrum where the, you know, the best ones are starters, the worst ones are mop-up men. And then in between, there's this you know spectrum of guys. Some of them who can who can be swingmen. Some of them who can be closers. Some of them who can be you know specialists. And it's not the spectrum is not purely good bad, right? I mean, I sort of think of it as good bad, where the good are the starters and the bad are the mop up men. Mm-hmm. But it, there might be other reasons for why these pitchers aren't relievers. But one reason seems to be that. Maybe that there's I don't well I don't know what I don't know what is the why do you think we don't see this is it just that like it's annoying to be a reliever no one who's, <laughs> no one who's put in 15 years as an ace wants to go back to being a reliever is it humiliating yeah, I think there might be some of that I mean you certainly seen a lot of pitchers who resist going to the bullpen even if they 
can't stay healthy as a starter and it seems like it's the only way that they're going to continue their career like um like rich harden or dontra willis have been people that that have always been said like oh well they'd probably be a, a great setup man maybe they could stay healthy that way and get their issues under control but they haven't really done it because they didn't want to do it it seemed like um so maybe there's more of a, a stigma attached to it if you're an accomplished starter than there is if you're if you've been someone who plays in the field and has to move to dh because i don't know if you're a dh you're still in the starting lineup you're still getting just as many plate appearances um so it doesn't feel quite as much like a demotion maybe right you still get to sit in with in the in the cool kids table yeah yeah, you, yeah, you would think it it would happen more often though. Still, you, I mean, it's particularly Randy Johnson. It's hard for me to 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 see why Randy Johnson didn't have like four years as a dominant reliever in his in his forties. Mm. I wish he had. I wish we yeah. had seen it. Uh, I mean, he might still be pitching right now. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was still a pretty effective starter in his last season. So, um, so. Of the pitchers who are like, do you? Well, I guess, do you think that this is something that is going to happen more? Like, are we in an? Are we getting more and more in an era where just like everybody's a reliever anyway? And, yeah. Uh, there's a lot more fluidity of going back and forth. I mean, I guess the question is, who do you think? Uh, like, do you think that Felix Hernandez will be a reliever at any point in his career? Uh, I guess probably not. Um, I wonder, I, I mean, there's, there's so, there's so many more bullpen spots now that you have more to fill and maybe that would make it more likely that you would try this or that a starter would go along with it. But I I don't know. It just, it seems so, seems so easy to find relievers now. Um, I mean, we just, we see so many of them come up every season and just sort of dominate with one really great pitch or a couple really good pitches. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's just, it's people are, are grooming pitchers to be relievers from the start and drafting pitchers who are already relievers. Uh, and maybe there are just too many of those guys around to, to really, I don't know, to, to really make it more likely that starters will go out this way. It's, yeah, and it's possible that the skill set required to be a starter um, involves... I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this sentence come together at all, but uh, to be a good starter, you need to have, you know you need to be able to throw the ball well, obviously, and you also need to have some pitchability, and you need to have some stamina, and you need to have uh, you know a, a multi-pitch mix, and you have these other things that are that are you know n- not necessarily super common, and so you might have a situation where like let's say Felix is 38 and he's losing his stuff. Um, but he's still maybe more valuable as a starter than a lot of other relievers are because he's got these skills. Mm-hmm. And by the time he gets to be so bad that even those other things can't carry him or make him valuable as like an average or below average starter, by the time he gets that bad that, that those resources are wasted, he might be too bad to be a reliever. Yeah, like he wouldn't he wouldn't have one or two really great out pitches anymore that you'd need. Mm-hmm. He'd his fastball would be, 
I mean, it would maybe play up a little more in short bursts, but relievers generally throw harder than starters, so maybe it still wouldn't really measure up to to the competition. Um, yeah, I could see that. All right. That, well, anyway, yeah. Derek Lowe. <laughs> right. Uh, officially not going to pitch anymore. Yeah, I, I like Derek Lowe. He's an interesting guy. Weird, weird career path and uh, crazy high ground ball rate and one of those guys who... Got a lot of extra strikes because I guess he was really good at throwing pitches on the corner. So he was one of those uh, like Tom Glavin, Mariano Rivera types who would always expand the zone by by putting balls just off the plate. Uh, so interesting guy. One of the one of the handsomer mug shots. <laughs> yeah, right. Pretty good one. Kind of, kind of. His mug shot kind of looks like uh, Saul. From Breaking Bad. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so Garza, are you heated up? <laughs> I'm on fire, man. All right, cool so, me down. Cool me down. <laughs> so, usually, I feel like we probably overanalyze uh, deadline trades, or we focus too much on them. And usually, even if it's a big trade, it won't be worth more than a win or two over the the two months of the season that are left by the time you get to the deadline and how many races are actually decided by that winner two, um, not, not most of them. Uh, so most, most deadline trades aren't really difference makers probably when you look at them in retrospect, but, but this season feels a little bit different in that with, uh, kind of almost unprecedented parody. I mean, there's, there's, I think one team maybe on on pace for a hundred wins. Uh, I think the Cardinals maybe just barely. Um, and is, is that unprecedented? I don't know if that is, but it it feels like things are more compressed. That there that there's less of a spread. I could just be making this up, but it it feels uh, you know there aren't any teams right now with more than a six game lead in the division and. Uh, there's only one with a lead over three games or over two and a half games. So the races are all very compressed right now and made even more so by the fact that there's a second wild card now. So many more teams are in it. I mean, if we counted how many teams are are officially out of it right now, uh, it would not be a big number. Um, so I guess potentially then trades are... Uh, maybe more likely to be difference makers this year than they are usually, um, which is why there's been some talk about how sellers are really holding out for for high prices uh, and uh, trying to get great prospects in return. And as we're recording right now, we don't know. Uh, we don't even know if if Garza has officially been traded to the Rangers, and we don't know what the Cubs. Uh, got back if they did get something back but but this seems like um a situation where it could be a a fairly fairly major move in that the rangers are two games back of the a's right now uh i'm looking up their their playoff odds they're about 10 percent playoff odds behind uh yeah about 10 percentage points behind oakland right now um and right now they, they kind of have like three starters, sort of. 
like I looked up their depth chart on on uh, Baseball Prospectus, and they have three starters listed right now because they have five on the DL. Uh, Hugh Darvish is hurt, and Colby Lewis is hurt, although he's rehabbing and pitching poorly. Um, Ogando is hurt, and Tepish is hurt, and Harrison is hurt, and these guys will be back, or some of them will be back, but right now the Rangers are kind of without arms. And Who is who is not hurt? Holland is not hurt. <laughs> Holland, who else is not yeah, hurt? Yeah, uh, Holland is not hurt, and then they have Martin Perez is pitching, and I guess Ross Wolf. <laughs> so right now they, they kind of have not even half a rotation, so... Derek Lowe's available. Yes, yes, he is. Uh, so this seems like a, a time when they could get a pretty big benefit from adding a, a solid starter and that they don't really have any, and they are locked in a, a close race. And it's kind of been the, I guess, the concern all season, even when their starters weren't all hurt. The concern was that maybe they they, they have an ace in Darvish, but then after that there's a bit of a, a drop-off. And, and Holland is is pitching very well. Um, but I guess uh, doesn't really have the, the track record of a sort of number two-ish starter like Garza does. Uh, so there's not that much we can say about it, I guess, without even knowing that it's happened and what the Rangers had to give up if it has. But but this seems like, um, this seems like a trade that is worth uh, paying attention to more so than more so than most midseason trades. So I don't know if this is true, but there was a report or a rumor that, um, I mean, Theo, well, not Theo, I guess, the Cubs asking price for Garza, especially initially, was like sky high. Yeah. And one of the rumors was that um, when the Diamondbacks called, he asked for Skaggs and Archie Bradley <laughs> uh-huh. for Garza. Uh, which is, you know, obviously it's a, it's a, you know, that's a Heathcliff Slocum for Derek Lowe, Jason Veritek kind of mm-hmm. uh, mismatch, and obviously there's, you know, no no harm in asking, right? right? Except, like, can you imagine though, in like your everyday life, actually trying to negotiate like that? I mean, it it feels un- maybe it feels somewhat unrealistic to me because. Um, you know, like when we bought a house, the realtor's like, yeah, I mean, you can you can give them a lower offer, but you don't want to insult them right. because mm-hmm. then, you know, they'll just they'll feel insulted and then who knows what will happen. And yeah, that, that I feel like that happens. You know, you never want to go too low. You mm-hmm. you you have to show that you're acting in good faith and, you know, you don't want to create you don't want to have a lot of no responses. So I don't know. I'm always very in my life, I'm always very averse to, to being told no. So I always like when I if I play Monopoly, I'm a terrible Monopoly player because when it's time to trade properties, I don't like set a bargaining price. I just, I, I set the price that like I, give, I basically give my best offer because I really, really am scared that they're going to say no and I'm going to have my feelings hurt. <laughs> Uh, so I could like I could never ask for Bradley and Skaggs because I would know that they were going to say no and that would break my heart. Um, so I would ask for exactly what I thought they would give me, mm-hmm. and then they'd be like, "No, but we'll give you less." And I'd be like, "I did it again." Uh, anyway, I do you, like we hear a lot of these rumors of like you know trade offers that seem unrealistic, or I guess trade demands that seem unrealistic, or like particularly deals that like a couple years later we look at them and go wow that's hysterically mismatched i wonder if these are real like do you really think that he asked for bradley and and skaggs or do you think it was like 
just some some guy in the front office told some reporter like, oh, we could move him, but it'd have to be for a lot. You know, we'd mm-hmm. be talking about, you know, like, do you think because you would think these guys are all very, very fairly chummy. They also have each other's respect. They have to have working relationships with them in a lot of different capacities over the course of many years. You would think if you go around asking like, you know, this guy in the fantasy league loses respect, yes. loses his league's respect if he starts making these horrible trade proposals. You would think that they're, you know, they would want to be taken seriously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure whether it's something that officially was was proposed or those names were exchanged or whether it was just sort of um, floated through a reporter kind of or just put out there to establish that that they want to get something big back. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think probably certain GMs have a have a reputation for being difficult to deal with, maybe because they are less realistic about trades or they take a, a harder line when negotiating. And, and maybe that does uh, make people less likely to, to deal with them in the future. I, you know, I've, I've heard either either privately or publicly stories like that about certain GMs being kind of unpopular for, for reasons like that, or being hard to reach or just being tough to deal with, um, that sort of thing. I don't, I don't know whether, whether the Cubs people have that kind of reputation at all. Uh, but I, but I do think it's a, it's a good seller's market and maybe there's less harm than usual in, in kind of leading with the, with the pie in the sky proposal. Yeah, I think it might also be helpful if, uh, even if it's embarrassing to tell the Diamondbacks that and have them say no, it might actually be good for the Cubs to have that rumor out there for other teams to hear. Mm -hmm. Like, you might not even be planning on trading them to the Diamondbacks. You might not think that's realistic. But for other teams to just mentally adjust their expectations of what it's going to take might be a good thing, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just, in, in general, it's good for people to have like a, a higher frame of reference when they're thinking about it. So that might, what do you, what is that called? Remind me. Anchoring. Anchoring. Yeah. Yeah. Anchoring. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it might be a good thing anyway. So the Rangers, uh, might get Garza. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) By the time you're listening to this, you'll, you probably know more about this than we do right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you, do you, do you think that, um, that there's anything, I mean, the, they're, Giving up a player, probably, who was recently a very good prospect, but is having a down season. Um, Mike Holt, you, you mean? Or, Mike Holt, yeah. yeah pre- presumably. Now, if, let's say they don't. But do you think that you would judge this trade any differently if it were uh, you know, a team that we didn't like as a front office? You know? uh, I guess so. I Yeah, I have those kind of inclinations where I'll, you know, I won't... I won't just completely take a pass and say that that if they've made sm- smart moves in the past, then this must be a smart move. But I am of the opinion that if we've seen a team be smart, then there's probably a, a higher chance that that they're being smart again, right? I mean, there's there's if there's some precedent for that, it I would I would kind of give it a, a higher probability of succeeding. But I guess this is. Uh, this is one. I mean, these are two teams that are generally regarded to be smart and well-run. So maybe that kind of cancels that cancels that out. 
Yeah, I don't. I'm not. I'm certainly not suggesting that this is the case. But when um, when we did the decline and fall of the Rangers mm-hmm. uh, last year, mm-hmm. and we were looking at what historical precedents there are for a team as good as them uh, collapsing, uh, one of the I believe one of the theories was that they would have uh, they would basically get sucked into. Uh, well, I don't know how to put this, but that once they started having less success, that they would kind of go on tilt mm-hmm. and start chasing success at ever greater prices. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you could maybe make the case that they their current trajectory is maybe slightly downward. They were, you know, they were, you know, two pitches away or whatever from a World Series championship not that long ago. And then they last year they lost the wild card game. And this year they don't have any, I mean, they're losing their division to the A's at the moment. And you could maybe make the case that even rational people uh, are only rational under a certain set of circumstances and that as things maybe become less favorable to them, uh, they might not be quite so skilled, mm-hmm. you know, that makes sense. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I don't think the Angels front office ever had quite the same prestige in the internet as the Rangers did, but I mean, you sort of have seen that happening with them where it feels like every every year that they lose they get more desperate for the next year not to mm-hmm. to you know to to see the same thing and then it perversely makes them worse um so you know it's possible that they are now at a point where they are in danger of overpaying for uh for this sort of like long sought after white whale that they have in at their own expense mm-hmm uh yeah well they they traded for uh for ryan dempster at last year's deadline so maybe this is just kind of an annual tradition where they trade for a cub starter when they need one um all right do we have probably i would guess that that's probably not in there no you don't think no Uh, they probably don't have that in like Mm. like tacked up on the wall like to do yeah maybe maybe not uh okay do we have anything more to say about this non-official trade nope Okay, then we are done for the week. Uh, send us questions for next week at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. Uh, rate and review us if you have a minute on iTunes, and have a wonderful weekend.